I was so tired at work the other day that I did something that I haven't done for years. I imbibed something that I used to describe as having the imagined properties of crack cocaine, and that was Mountain Dew. I was addicted to that stuff in grad school, and uh, it has a ton of sugar and a ton of caffeine. Given some of the problems I have with anxiety, it's not a good thing for me to drink normally, but I was so tired at work that I was kind of desperate for something, so I reached for the dew. I went downstairs, uh, I work in a hospital as a hospital chaplain, went downstairs and uh, bought a Mountain Dew. I took a couple swigs of it, but then decided that I would put it in the fridge and wait till later in the day when I absolutely crashed, when I just couldn't go on. Then I went upstairs and I started making patient visits. And after visiting with one patient, there was a woman who, I don't know if she was a nurse or a tech or what she was, but she was wheeling some device into a patient's room. But before she did so, she asked me how I was doing. And I said I was pretty good, you know, as you say. And she said, uh, I asked her how she was. She said she could not complain. And I said, actually, I probably could complain. I'm really, really tired today. And then she started speaking sustaining words to me. She said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And she began speaking other words like that. And I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt that kind of goosebump experience that I've had in the past that signals, wow, God is here. God is in the midst of us. And God is in these words that this woman is saying. I'm going to call her hope for the sake of anonymity. And my question for us today is, how can we be like hope? How can we offer sustaining words to the weary? Because I had new strength after talking to her. How can we do that? How can we provide for that? And I also want to talk about what happened immediately after. What was my patient visit like after she gave me those sustaining words. So to answer that question, how can we be like hope? How can we provide sustaining words to the weary? Let's also go to the written word of God, which uh, some scriptures describe as the lamp unto our feet. So let's turn to this light. Our reading for today is Luke chapter 2 verses 22 to 40. So we begin in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. What is going on here? Well, they are, the they in this case, are Mary and Joseph, and they're following uh, the tradition at the time, which involved uh, a woman after giving birth. There was a purification ritual, and Mary and Joseph were going to the temple, and they're also presenting Jesus at the temple. And it's interesting here, it says that... Um, and they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is a signal to us that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were a peasant family. They were poor. 
they weren't giving what rich people would give, or, or at least people who had more means than they had, which would be sheep. They are giving to uh, a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons. This is what's designated for poor families to give in such circumstances. And now we're going to be introduced to a man. And one thing I want you to keep in mind is, again, we're answering that question, how can we be like Hope, this nurse or nurse tech or whatever her profession was, who gave me these sustaining words in my weariness better than Mountain Dew, enlivening me with new energy. How can we be like her? Well, we're introduced to someone who is like her. The first person we're introduced to who's like Hope is Simeon. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. What I want you to pay attention to is how many times Luke connects Simeon to the Holy Spirit. So Luke is intent on uh, Luke's readers connecting Simeon to someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. Okay, there's our first instance. The Holy Spirit rests on Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit rests on him, Luke says. And now he's telling us that something had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit. That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit. Wow, this is packed. This is a spirit-filled passage. So first, we have the idea that Simeon is, the Holy Spirit rests on Simeon, and then the Holy Spirit is revealing something to Simeon, and that something was that he would not see death until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Deliverer, the Lord's Anointed One. And then we're told that he's guided by the Spirit. So that's the third instance in this relatively short passage third mention of the Holy Spirit in relationship to Simeon and Simeon's actions. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of of all peoples, a light for revelation, and the passage can be translated in two different ways, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, you could also translate it as a light for revelation to the nations, in either case the Gentiles are the non-Jews, the non-Israelite, non uh, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. How does Simeon know to say this? Is this a spontaneous uh, exuberant proclamation that has just come to his mind. Maybe to a certain extent it is. There are extemporaneous elements to it, but this is deeply embedded scripture that he has ingested, as it were. He has taken scripture in. He has studied a story of God rescuing a people, and he knows that story so well that he starts in exaltation in this particular instance where he's holding up this baby. He starts combining different passages from that story of God rescuing and loving God's people. So what is he referring to? When he uses this language of a light for revelation to the Gentiles, 
That's a passage, like the other words he uses here, that comes from Isaiah. And the portion of Isaiah is a book in the Hebrew Bible, what many Christians call the Old Testament. Isaiah 40, chapter 40 to Isaiah 55, is a portion of Isaiah that many scholars will call the portion of the suffering servant. And this is someone who is dealing with a wearying experience. So the suffering servant is speaking to Israel, God's people, who have been in Babylonian exile. That is, they have been overthrown by Babylonians who came in and they left the temple, the place of meeting between God and people. They left the temple in shambles. They have exiled the king of Israel and other high court officials, and the people are bone weary. And this Isaiah, this suffering servant, is offering words of hope. It's in Isaiah uh, 54, so Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, where the suffering servant says, I have a, the Lord has given me a learned tongue to know how to sustain weary people with words. To know how to sustain weary people with words. And now Simeon is saying, he's speaking different kinds of uh, sustaining words that Isaiah said. He's saying them now in this instance, holding up Jesus, saying this is the key figure in the story that we have been waiting for. It's a story he's been studying and that he knows well. And now he's speaking forth portions of that story saying, hey, this, a key and a climax is occurring here. A key event uh, with this baby that I'm holding. And, and this is such a powerful line. Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. He, he said, he believed that God had spoken to him, the Spirit had spoken to him, that he wouldn't die before seeing the consolation of Israel. And here he's seeing it. Not only the consolation of Israel, but this even broader story that God isn't just rescuing God's people, Israel. God is extending that rescue mission to the Gentiles, to all nations, to the ends of the earth. And the child's father and mother, after Simeon has proclaimed these various passages from Isaiah as he holds up Jesus, Mary and Joseph were amazed at what was being said. They were amazed. I think this is important. God wants us to be amazed more often than surprised. And to illustrate what I mean by that, uh, let me tell you about what happened to me the other day in the hospital. I had been on paid time off doing a writing project for a couple days. I was not in the hospital when my fellow chaplains and colleagues were given the uh, first dose of the COVID-19 vaccination. And I was disappointed, to say the least, that I was not there. We've all been very hopeful about receiving this vaccination. We are often encountering patients in different settings who have COVID-19. And uh, so we have all been eager to get that vaccination, but I wasn't there. And I heard that it might take a while for the next dose to come around when I'd have an opportunity to get that first dose of the vaccination myself. I was waiting, but I really wasn't hopeful in the sense that I was putting my hopes into action. I was just sort of in my mind hopeful that I would get the vaccine at some point. But then instead of being amazed at the timing, 
that, uh, that it came shortly thereafter when I went back to work, I was surprised and surprised not in a good way. So the, my boss yelled out, hey, we just got an email. There are 15, one, five more vaccinations. Go run, get it. But the problem was I was not prepared. There was some survey we were supposed to do online in advance of receiving the vaccination. But because I, my hope really was diminished that I, I didn't really think it was gonna come that soon, the opportunity for me to get vaccinated. So I had not filled out that survey. So I had to race and fill out that survey. And I was so panicked knowing there were only 15 uh, doses of this vaccination that I couldn't even remember my password to get in to do this survey and I finally remembered I ended up getting there and getting there on time in fact they cut it off two people behind me but I really I would have rather been in a situation where I was amazed that I was getting in this opportunity than surprised and not having been ready uh, but here it says that Mary and Joseph, they're amazed. Mary's not entirely surprised because she's heard a message like this from the angel, but it's still so amazing to have this confirmation. But Simeon, like Isaiah, the person who he's read about, who upon whom the Spirit rested. So just as it says the Spirit was upon Simeon, in Isaiah it says the Spirit was upon the servant. And then later, Jesus connecting himself to Isaiah would said that said the spirit is upon me. Simeon, remember, believes the spirit is upon him to give, like Isaiah, words that would sustain the weary. So Simeon actually turns from these amazing words to harder words in this case. Mary and Joseph are amazed at what Simeon has been saying. But then Simeon says something a little tougher. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And Mary, speaking to Mary, he says, A sword will pierce your own soul too. How are these sustaining words to proclaim not only that in Jesus the consolation of Israel has come, that the light has come not just to Israel but to all the nations, why turn from that obviously sustaining and encouraging word to a much less obvious sustaining and encouraging word to say to Mary that her own soul is going to be pierced because of the opposition that her son will face? Well, it's the truth. The truth makes us free. It's tempting, and many Christians have fallen into this temptation, to proclaim a nice, blessed, prosperous message that is simply not true. So if you've heard of the prosperity gospel, the idea is God always wants you to prosper economically, and God always wants you to be healthy. That sounds good, right? That sounds like good news. God's going to make me rich. God's going to heal me of any illnesses that come my way in all circumstances. That sounds like a hopeful message. And you may think, how can preachers sustain that kind of message when they read things like this about that Jesus' family was a poor family, that they were peasants who were giving the kind of offering that a poor family was expected to give? Well, I heard a prosperity preacher once say from the pulpit that Jesus and his family were rich because of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that they received 
from the three wise men. Well, again, that's, of course, hermeneutical gymnastics. You have to ignore other parts of the Bible to make that claim. But that's the way he wants to sustain this prosperity message that Jesus was rich. Jesus wants you rich. Um, you'll never face suffering. If you face suffering, God can heal you because it's always God's will to heal you if you're ill. But then that's not so hopeful if you get ill. If you face difficult situations with your health, sometimes the prosperity message then turns like this. It's not God's problem. So if it's not God's problem and you're not being healed, maybe it's your problem. Maybe it's your faith. Or if it's not your faith, then maybe it's the lack of faith of people around you. What sounds like a hopeful message, God wants you rich and God wants you healed, sometimes turns into a message of despair. And it's also not the truth. At least it's not biblical. It's not, it doesn't capture that long story of the written word or the word as expressed in the flesh and uh, story of Jesus. Because eventually in First Peter, Peter would say, remember I was saying, be amazed, not surprised. Peter would say, don't be surprised when the fiery trials and suffering come to your life. Don't be surprised by that. This is part of the story. But even in the midst of the difficulties, whether it's illness, whether it's financial hardships, God is with you. There is reason for hope because light has come to Israel. Light has come to all the nations. That's a sustaining, truthful word. And the child the child's father and mother were amazed, and then they get this tough message, and then they talk about another prophet, Anna. But before talking about Anna, I want to talk for a second about that visit right after meeting with Hope, where she gave me these sustaining words that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I said to her, feeling the Holy Spirit, I was like, this is a divine appointment. So with other Christians, I know that sounds probably like Christianese, like kind of insular language that wouldn't be uh, broadly applied in our society, but it's something that, that I say, some other Christians say, a divine appointment. The idea that what seems like a coincidence has really been orchestrated by God. And she said, absolutely. The steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. So what were my next steps? I went into a room of a patient, uh, and as I began to talk with that patient, I knew... My steps have been ordered here because I had been thinking a lot about the story of my dad's cousin who was a, a priest and he was also a chaplain. So he's a Roman Catholic priest and he was a chaplain to the police in my home city of Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm in, speaking to you from Fort Worth, Texas, but I'm religi originally from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And Father Lloyd, my dad's uh, cousin, was a, a priest and a chaplain to the police. And one day there was a hostage situation. And in the midst of this hostage situation, a man who had uh, a gun and was holding his girlfriend or his wife hostage, my, uh, my dad's cousin, Father Lloyd, was called to try and de-escalate the tension of this scene. And he began to talk to this man. And he was able to calm him down enough. He was at the foot of these stairs and the man was at the top of the stairs. And he said, can we, can we sit down and talk? And the man said, yes, okay, I'll talk with you. And as he turned his back to put his gun down, 
this priest, my dad's cousin, went flying at him and knocked him over. And then the police were able to come and restrain this man. And so that's the backdrop. It had been a story that was going through my mind all week. And then I went in to the, see this patient and he was an older gentleman in his 80s and he was a retired police officer. He was a police officer who had been shot in the stomach by an assailant at one point in his life. And I talked to him about uh, this priest in our family who had actually taken out an assailant in that situation, had been a chaplain to the police. And that was just one of many coincidences. And it was absolutely clear to both of us that this was a God appointment. In fact, he had been a little bit frustrated about uh, communication that he was not receiving from some doctors. So some physicians had been talking back and forth about the next steps in his care. And he had been told he was going to hear something shortly. And it had been quite a while and he hadn't heard anything. And he had been frustrated. But we had such a sustaining conversation. He offered me words from the very beginning of our conversation that were life-giving to me. And I hope that I offered, in turn, life-giving words for him. It was such a blessed encounter that um, he said, this is why this happened. This was no, this is no frustrating delay. He said, I was delayed getting this news so that you and I could have this conversation. It sounds like Simeon. This is an older man as well. When Simeon said, Master, you are dismissing your servant in peace. And it was very shortly after I had that conversation with this man that he was discharged. He was dismissed in peace from the hospital. And then I went to our chapel in the hospital immediately after speaking with this man. And I, I went into the chapel and I went up to the very front of what you could, I guess, call the altar, the altar railing. And I knelt because there was a word that this man kept saying. He said, God gave us everything. We are called in turn to give everything. We have kept saying, God gave us everything. God, and I was, in a sense, almost like Jesus being presented at the temple. I was presenting myself anew to God, saying, I want to give you everything that I have. Give, uh, give me uh, sustaining words for the weary in this hospital, because we've seen so much weariness, especially from COVID-19 in this hospital. And that man gave me sustaining words and I want to offer myself anew at the altar railing here to the God who had given everything. That's what this guy kept saying. And I looked next to me and I was amazed. I wasn't entirely surprised, but I was amazed. Because next to me, there was a hymnal that was open. And the reason I wasn't surprised is because I'm the one who had opened that hymnal at one point. I had been in the chapel one day reading and I found this hymn I really liked and I had left the hymnal open uh, to that page. So I wasn't entirely surprised because I'm the one who opened it, but I was amazed because it was the hymn on the right side of the page, not the left one that I had left open, that amazed me as I had offered my life anew trying to, uh, offering myself, saying, you have all of me, God, you've given me everything. Just as this older gentleman had reiterated again and again during our blessed conversation, a meeting that was longer than any visitation I've ever had with a patient. 
He said, God gave everything. And so here is the hymn, and here's the fifth line of the hymn that was happened to be open in that moment. O Lord of heaven and earth. Here are the words that accompany offering my everything because of God who had given me everything. To thee from whom we all derive our life, our gifts, our power to give, O me, O may we ever with thee live who givest all. He gave everything, that retired police officer kept saying. He was someone who was immersed in God's word. This is how we can be like Anna. This is how we can be like that retired police officer. This is how we can be like Isaiah. This is how we can be like Simeon. We immerse ourselves in God's story so that what comes out of us in moments of need will be the spirit of God. It'll be life-giving words. Not something we dream up in the moment, but something that is spectacular because of the steady. It will be a product of our steady immersion in God's story of love and rescue. And the passages continue with a person named Anna who stays up night and day fasting until she gets to see this baby Jesus who she proclaims as a light to the nations. She reiterates what Simeon has said and she is someone who stayed up fasting and praying night and day. Bob Goff says this about hope. Hope doesn't go to sleep because it's dark. Hope lights a candle and stays up knowing and waiting for the end of God's story. Your story is not over. And the reason I know that is because God's story is not over. And the Holy Spirit rests upon you for the same reason that it rested upon Isaiah, that it rested upon Simeon, that it rested upon Jesus, that it rested upon this woman I'm calling Hope in the hospital, that it rested upon this and rests upon this retired police officer, and I hope that it rests upon me. It is to give life and light sustaining words to a weary world. While I was in there with that retired police officer, another uh, nurse came in. So that American police officer was with a Canadian uh, chaplain and a nurse from Eastern Europe. And we were marveling at how uh, we had been brought together. God's word is light to all nations. Salvation goes to the ends of the earth. You have great purpose. You have a great light shining upon you. Shine it on others. Speak uh, life-sustaining words to the weary. And, as we talked about the Spirit resting upon people, may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you, and may it stay upon you forever. Amen.